Today's guest, Gianluca Amaro, is the founder and lead coach of the AI Academy and the co-author of Zero to AI, a non-technical, hype-free guide to prospering in the AI era from Manning Publications. Gianluca's roots lie in energy engineering from his university days, including getting a master's from Università di Roma Torvargata. He's been in the tech space ever since, however, building apps, freelancing, and coaching people in data science and artificial intelligence. So be sure to stay tuned as we check in with Gianluca Amaro and learn how this Fulbright scholar has gotten past the hype of AI to the reality that is working in a hot field in tech. You're listening to the Developmentor Podcast, hosted by Grant Ingersoll. We have one goal on the show, to help you build a successful career in tech, no matter where you're from or where you're going. We do this by showcasing interesting people working across a variety of roles in tech and deep dive into their why. If you want to learn more, please visit our website at developmentor.com or follow us on Twitter at Developmentor. Welcome to the show. So great to have you here. Thank you for having me, Grant. It's a pleasure. Now, I, I believe, you know, we're recording this at the end of September. You're up in Copenhagen. I imagine it's quite a beautiful time there as, you know, fall settling in and we're getting ready for winter. Yeah, it is. I would like to have a little bit less rain, but, you know, you can't have everything, right? Yeah, you can't have everything. And of course, uh, you know, I remember from, I haven't actually been to Copenhagen, but being up in northern Germany, I mean, the days just you know, the, the sun goes down like what, four or five p.m. these days, six p.m. Uh, no, yeah, it's gonna get really bad. Like during December, I think it goes down at three thirty p.m. Uh, right now, I think we still have light until six thirty, seven maybe. So it's still manageable. It was such a surreal feeling being in, in like I said, in Germany in the winter. I mean, I grew up in northern Minnesota, but like, you know, it would be. 7 p.m., 6 p.m., 5 p.m., but never like 3 p.m. <laughs> That's got to be a little bit of a surreal. <laughs> Especially, right, if I understand correctly, you're from Rome, from Italy, so you <laughs> it's got to be a little bit of a change for you, for sure, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's completely different. But hey, there, there are ups and downs, you know, at least in summer we get sun at 11 p.m., which is really fun, I have to tell you. Yeah, it's not like 40 Celsius during the middle of the day there or whatever it gets to in Rome these days either, right? Exactly, yeah. Well, so speaking of Rome, you know, why don't you take us back to those days, set the stage for our listeners here a bit, and share with us how you were thinking about your career as you headed off to university. Yeah, so it has been kind of a wild ride because when I when I had to pick a university, basically, I honestly had no idea what I wanted to do. I was really passionate about guitar and music, and I was thinking to become a musician, actually. Looking at the careers that my guitar teachers were having, I was like, ah, it seems like it becomes like a stressful job and I don't really want to do this. I want it to be, to stay a passion, you know? 
And so I looked at other examples they had, and my father was an engineer, and I thought, well, you know, the stuff that he does seems to be quite fun. So I decided to subscribe to energy engineering, just for the very simple reason that I really like studying physics, and that was the, so the career path in engineering that had the most uh, physics courses. So I started studying that, and it turned out to be interesting, but not really what I wanted to do, mostly because it's, it was not that practical, it was really theoretical, it was not that that inspiring. I wanted to do something creative. I wanted to do something new. One day I've been, I decided to go on something called an Erasmus program, which is basically an exchange program that we have here in Europe, where you can go study for six months in another university in Europe without basically changing anything of your current enrollment. You just go somewhere else in Europe and you study for six months. And then I went to Belgium to study at Ghent University. And that was amazing because I, I had the opportunity to pick basically whatever course I wanted. And so I picked a course on entrepreneurship and I just completely fell in love with that course. It was amazing because it taught me how to come up with an idea and just validate it on the market and try to understand whether there's some market potential for that idea you can have. And through that course, I won a scholarship, a Fulbright scholarship that led me to stay for six months in Silicon Valley, where then I basically got in touch with a few people that were working on artificial intelligence. That's where I really started getting passionate about this technology. So as you can see, it was definitely not a straight line going from music to engineering to, wait, uh, maybe I want to be an entrepreneur, to, hey, uh, I'm going to go for six months in Silicon Valley, and, and I've discovered this super cool thing called AI. So it was definitely kind of a roller coaster. But I have to say, I've been lucky, super lucky, because I finally feel like I found what I really like, which is using super cool technology like AI to solve problems in a creative way. That's fantastic. Well, and I, I love that. Just, you know, sometimes those serendipitous moments of you happen to be somewhere and you take a course, in your case, in entrepreneurship, and, you know, the rest is history, as they say. But, you know, for our listeners here, real quick, explain a little bit, because this isn't a degree I've actually even heard of. Uh, I mean, I, I think I get what it is now that you've explained it a little bit, but what is energy engineering exactly? Is this is this like a subset of physics? What's a typical career for somebody who has, you know, an energy engineering uh, degree? Yeah, so it's actually a branch of mechanical engineering. Um, my professors, we used to say that we are the hot side of mechanical engineering. So typically a mechanical engineer will design, let's say, an engine, and we are specialized on the energy transformations that happen inside an engine. So, you know, gasoline burning, heat being produced, and all that stuff. It's pretty interesting course because you know with all these renewable resources and all these things that are coming up right now there's a lot to be said about how energy gets transformed from one way to another and i, I liked it i mean i actually today that i'm working 100 percent on ai i really like working at the intersection between the two things uh, so i followed quite a few projects where i had to take advantage of my engineering background and so use all my skills and knowledge about energy energy transformation but using artificial intelligence as a tool because again, all these challenges that we have today about renewable resources, climate change, they all need new tools. And when I found out about AI, I immediately thought, this is a great tool to solve all the problems that I've heard at university. The issue is that at university it was so traditional that no one had told me about the existence of, of this tech, right? I had to go all the way to California from Rome <laughs> to find out that these tools existed. 
Yeah. Well, so I imagine like, you know, these days AI applied to like building energy systems like the HVAC, you know, the heating and cooling all the way up through like renewable energy systems and power plants and even the transmission of energy. I imagine they're applying AI to figure out how do you better balance the loads? When do you generate energy? When do you not? Uh, I would imagine that's a pretty rich field for AI. So having those two together has got to be pretty powerful. Yeah, it's it's a super hot topic. But today, there are a lot of companies that are trying to integrate this technology. Of course, there's an issue with the fact that to use AI, you need to have some you need to have you know some infrastructure that is there already. You need to have the data. You need to have a culture that allows you to experiment. There's a bunch of things that need to be in place in order for you. You know, for you to use AI in a proficient way. There's, there's a nice example is this guy called Jim Gao, who I met uh, a couple of times. He, is, he was working for Google and DeepMind, and he was able to achieve a 40%, like 40% saving on their uh, data center energy bill using AI optimization, which is unheard of. Like I remember that my professors at university would make me study for months on how to get a 2% um, improvement in energy efficiency. And this guy just takes some new technology and gets a 40%. It's crazy, but that's the kind of stuff that I'm trying to help companies achieve, right? The only issue, again, is that they need some coaching first. They need to understand the culture. They need to understand how to bring the eye into the organization. It's not just about the neural networks and, uh, and, and you know, this, the code, let's say. So there's a few things. And that's, that's the easy part, as they say. Exactly, exactly. So Google, I mean, Jim Gao was successful one of the few reasons is because he was a Google. Google has that kind of culture. Let me tell you, when you're working with traditional organizations like I've done, it's, you, you know, I don't need to tell you. It's crazy. I mean, you need to do so many things before. But that's the kind of challenge that I like. It's pretty fun, to be honest. You know, to see these companies making baby steps towards a different way of thinking. I want to come back to that in a minute here with AI Academy and the work you're doing, but I would love to. So, so you go off to Silicon Valley, you've got this scholarship. Tell me about those early days of getting into tech, for instance, you know, from the looks of it, you were starting to publish some mobile apps while you're still getting your degree. What uh, kind of took you deeper down this rabbit hole? How did you transition out of university? Because I believe you also then still went and got a master's in energy engineering, right? Yeah. It was, uh, it was so hectic because when I moved to Silicon Valley, I still needed to give three exams, I believe, to get my master's degree. So when I, I basically took a six months slash one year off to follow this new path that was so interesting for me. And then I came back and finished my, my degree. But so when I was in Silicon Valley, I had this startup idea that I was working on. Basically, I was trying to build a system to help students living in student houses save energy by coaching them, by telling them how they could do very simple actions like, one very simple one is just close your window in, during winter, right? You know, uh, this would be the most simple tip to give. And I remember that I struggled so much finding developers. It was just really hard to find people that could help me. And so at one point I decided, well, what if I become the developer? And I had this incredible luck of leading together with uh, Nicolo Baligi, who now is my co-founder of the AI Academy. He was already like a great uh, developer at the time. He just helped me get started, you know, because most of these things are not that complicated, but you need someone that guides you, that tells you, hey, uh, let's say, start by studying you know, React, or start by, you can use Firebase if you wanna you know, skip all the backend stuff. And so he gave me all these little tips, and I started building this first MVP of my uh, startup by myself. 
And that was quite interesting, and it got me hooked into coding. But at the same time, I was really fascinated by the AI world. And at the time, this was uh, five or six years ago, I believe, it was super easy to get really high-quality information. There was, for instance, Peter Nordwick, he was doing keynotes at Stanford regularly for free. You just could go there and listen to the head of research at Google Brain telling you exactly what they were doing in Google. It was crazy, so it was so easy for me to get all these information. And so at one point, I was learning how to code to build that MVP, getting passionate about AI, and I started learning some Python, I started studying some machine learning, all which is a big help of me a lot. And at some point I realized that I was kind of proficient, I could build small projects, and I just started getting more and more practice, and suddenly I was interesting for companies to work with, you know? So totally self-taught at this point. Now, had you done any programming? I mean, imagine with like kind of that theoretical physics and energy engineering, maybe you had touched some code back then. There's often... A little bit. But but otherwise, just self-taught. Yeah, 100%. But I would say 99% self-taught. Honestly, it was so important to have Nicolo as a, as a mentor, let's say, because he was working already on self-driving cars. He was working on uh, system to track drones indoors. He was really good. Uh, he, I mean, he did it, of course. And so it was just so amazing to have someone next to me that could just tell me, hey, start studying this. I think this is the best technology for you to get started. Or just, you know, sometimes you have this bug that you just can't fix and you have someone that can help you with that. It's great. For sure. Now, and you said you met him in Silicon Valley? Yeah. That was crazy. We won the same scholarship and uh, we just met in this house that we have Fulbright Commission gave us. We're just like, hey, uh, nice to meet you. I'm Chaluga. Hey, nice to meet you. I'm Nicolo. And then, you know, fast forward a few months, we were co-founders of this company. It was so important for me because, again, I don't think I could have started learning all this stuff without him as a guy. That's it. I love it. Well, there's that, you know, yet again, another serendipitous moment. And this is the thing I love about life and careers, right? You can do all the planning, you can, and then you have these serendipitous moments that just take you in a completely different direction or in a path that perhaps you hadn't been thinking about. So Gianluca, you know, so for many people, there's some personal conflict, you know, or at least a sunk cost feeling, if you know what I mean, that comes with walking away from a degree that you worked pretty hard to get. I mean, not that you've fully walked away from it just based off of what you've described, but how do you think about that energy engineering degree now? And, you know, this fact kind of that you've gone, shall we say, a different path. I always say if I could go back, I would have probably chosen physics or something a little bit more generic because I feel like engineering makes you not knowledgeable enough to learn anything that you want because you just don't know enough hardcore theory but also not practical enough to start building stuff. It's kind of, you, you need to specialize in something afterwards. That's at least my feeling. But I always thought of it as an asset rather than as a liability. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. I always thought that I could have learned AI anyway, right? And knowing something else, knowing some hardcore engineering stuff allowed me to speak both languages and then be really profitable when I was working in certain contexts. And I'll give you an example of this. This was actually how I got my first job in AI. I was working on some projects that I just defined by myself. I was just looking for some interesting challenges that I could solve using all the machine learning algorithms that I was studying. And I thought, well, I know energy, right? So this is my asset. If you compare me to someone who just studied computer science at Stanford, well, I definitely can't compete with him on coding skills, but I can compete with them if we play in a field that I know, right? 
And so I picked this challenge of working on some energy data to do basically some pretty simple clustering. And so I built this simple algorithm that resembled what a company called Opower uh, had done. I knew that this company had worked on uh, clustering of energy users, and I found an open source data set. This seems to be more or less what they played with. And I tried to do the same thing, and then I wrote a blog post about it. And that blog post became crazy viral. I still remember my inbox was completely flooded with people that wanted to talk to me, wanted to uh, hire me, wanted to work with me. And just one fun anecdote is that I had a Skype call with the head of data science at uh, Square, and he told me, uh, yeah, you know, because I sent your blog post to Jack. And I was like, wait a minute, Jack who? Jack Dorsey Raymond blog post? What the hell? That was crazy. And so in the end, one of the outcomes of that blog post was that a company was working on a similar challenge, so using machine learning to extract some insights from energy data, offered me to work for them for as, as a freelance, basically. And that was just amazing, because I, I had this interview with the head of data science where I told him, hey, let's just say it, I'm a noob of data science and machine learning. This is one of my first projects. But I have a master degree in engineering, so maybe I can help you with that side of things. And he was so nice. He told me, hey, no problem. Whatever you don't know about data science, I'm going to help you with that. But I really want to have your creativity, your way of thinking, and your domain expertise in energy engineering. And I learned so much about data science from that project. I feel like I got paid to learn, basically. It was really nice. So I think if I want to give a message to people that have the final sense and say situations that uh, I found myself in, is don't look at your, let's say, other background that is not computer science as, as a problem. Look at it as an asset. How can that enrich your your professional fear? What kind of value add it can bring to a potential employer or you know, anyone else who could use your, your coding skills as well? Yeah, I love that. It's that skill stacking, right? These things are all additive in your career. They're never subtractive or reductive, I guess, uh, right? That I, I love that. And well, and I'm curious, you know, like were you already blogging at that point or was this like also your first article and what inspired you to actually write it up? Because so many people do these side projects or these, you know, little toy examples or whatever. And it just, you know, maybe at best it goes on their GitHub page, but you wrote it up. What inspired that? And actually, how did you go about promoting it too? I'm curious how you got it out there. From the promotion side, I literally did nothing. Like I wrote it on Medium and then someone posted on Hacker News and it made the first page of Hacker News. And so I got, I think, something like 90,000 views in just a week. It was crazy. I remember one day I woke up. This was actually really funny. Nothing happened for a week. Then someone posted on Hacker News. And one day I woke up and my inbox was exploded. And I didn't know what the hell was going on. But the reason why I wrote it, it was because I just liked writing. It's something that I always liked. I think that writing helps you have some clarity of mind on what you've done. And... I also like to give some storytelling vibe to, to my blog post. So the style of the blog post wasn't, hey, you know, I did this, and did some clustering, this is the data. I just said the story of how I wanted to solve a problem related to my field. How I thought about this data set that reminded me of what I knew about Opower, and I thought, well, maybe Opower used the same thing. So let me see if I can actually reconstruct the same uh, kind of technology that they probably have been using. And then I, I told how I did it. I told the story of how I found the first results. I commented my results. It was kind of like a story, let's say. And I think that's why people liked it, because it wasn't just, you know, hey, here's the technology. This is what I've done. I got some 
emails from people that I still remember one, one woman told me, hey, I'm a hairdresser. I don't know anything that you've done. I don't understand it. But cool story, man. I was like, okay, nice. <laughs> you know, I'm reaching out people that, uh, that have no idea about what is artificial intelligence. That was one of my goals as well, just to make people understand that this is not black magic. It's, it's, there are some thoughts behind and it's a tool to solve problems. So I started from the problem and I started from what I wanted to do and then just told a little bit about the technology behind it. Yeah, the storytelling is such a powerful, you know, people in tech, I think, often overlook it. Although these days, you know, more and more you see it coming forward. But I can't tell you how many times I, I hear this story, which is the, the people whose careers really take off. They have this element of being able to communicate and tell stories as part of what they're doing. And uh, that's so important, Gianluca. Not sure how to ask for that raise at work? Perhaps you're perplexed on whether you should change careers or not. Maybe you're debating whether you should get another degree. Or perhaps you're not quite sure how to negotiate for equity at your startup. Listen up, because we here at Developmentor are launching a new topic-based episode format that'll air once a month as a bonus to our usual interviews. In each episode, our panel will tackle the toughest topics in building a successful career in tech, as well as discuss listener-submitted questions, all with the goal of providing you deeper insights into how to navigate your career in tech. So if you have a question on your career that you'd like answered, drop us a note and we just might answer your question on air. Head over to developmentor.com slash questions and fill out the form to submit your question or you can drop us an email at hello at developmentor.com. I want to continue on here a little bit. You also went on, I believe, to get a business degree, like a, an MBA, um, Curious, what actually drove you to go get more education as well? Was there something you were looking to find out or learn or fill a gap in? Yeah. So when I, when I was in Belgium studying the entrepreneurship course, it was just, I just felt like I finally found what I wanted to do, right? And so I applied for this um, scholarship. It's called Fulbright Best, where Best stands for Business Exchange Student Training. And here's how it worked. I basically went to Silicon Valley for six months. And three months, I had this very intensive course on entrepreneurship. It was basically an MBA in three months, let's say. Yeah, it was kind of intense, but it was really fun. We had one professor for six students. It was so personal and focused. And after that, we had an internship for all the three months. And that's the, at the same time, I was studying coding and I was studying uh, machine learning and all these things. It was a pretty productive period of my life, if I look back, because I had all these business studies that I had to do for university. And then in the evening, I was just next to... Uh, Nicolò trying to understand uh, machine learning and trying to understand all this technology. But I feel like then everything came together, right? Because I, well, I had all this business background that allowed me to actually talk to business people and speak the same language. I had this machine learning knowledge that allowed me to find uh, machine learning solutions to the problems that these guys had. And then I had the energy engineering, which whenever I was working in the field, whenever we were talking about some energy problem, of course, gave me that edge that very few people that knew machine learning had. It's, it's really, it's easy to find someone who knows machine learning, but it's hard to find someone who knows machine learning, business, and maybe also energy engineering, right? So I always say that I'm not the best data scientist in the world. I'm, I think I'm pretty mediocre, actually. Uh, but once you put all these things together, then I become kind of a unique uh, figure that can really help some specific companies solve specific problems. 
Yeah, that superpower of bringing together a couple of different things is is quite amazing. Well, so then you know you've been on your own it was like for quite some time. This was that the entrepreneurship bug. I mean, I see a lot of freelancing and kind of consulting and all of that. You know, how did you decide that you wanted to go on your own as opposed to, for instance, going and working for a consulting firm? I think it just happened. I remember that when I finished my took my, my master degree in the end. I was thinking which company I wanted to work for, and I just couldn't find an answer to that. I just didn't find anything that I was super excited about. And at the same time, I had this passion for trying to tell people about AI, because to picture this scenario, I go to Silicon Valley and get this you know, illumination, just find out that this technology is amazing and it's going to change the world. I go back to Italy, and there's no one talking about it. And so I started making uh, keynotes, making small workshops to tell people about this technology. And then companies just called me because companies will come and listen to me talking about AI and explaining what you can do with it and telling my story about what I saw in Silicon Valley. And it was pretty natural for them to say, hey, can you come over and just explain us a few more things and maybe help us build some projects? So it just really happened. I, I can't pinpoint the moment when I said, hey, I'm going to start a company. I'm going to become a solo consultant. It just really happened because I was doing what I liked and people seemed to want more of it, let's say. You know, a lot of people who kind of, for lack of a better word, fall into consulting. They, you know, there's often this pull because of the things they know, but then, you know, running the business side of it is often a challenge. I guess for you, I'm, I'm assuming like because you had some business background as well that, you know, kind of these things all came together pretty nicely or, or what were some of the bumps along the way and running your own consulting practice? I think the biggest issue that I had is that my business background was mostly related to startups, so small companies, agile, really fast growing, and then you find yourself consulting a million dollar corporate, and you realize that it doesn't really work that way, it's a completely different world, and I just didn't have the tools in the beginning to handle even simple things, like how do you write a contract for to consult a company that makes 40 billion in revenues? I didn't know. I mean, I started reading books. I was like, okay, let me figure this out. And I screwed up a few times, I have to say. If I look back at the kind of contracts that I had in the beginning, I cringe a little bit. Uh, but I learned by making mistakes, basically. I think what's interesting that a lot of people that work in tech and do consulting feel is that sometimes it's really hard to find motivation when you're working for projects that maybe either you don't fully agree with the strategy or maybe you don't believe in, maybe you don't care sometimes. I have to say I've been pretty lucky because most of the projects that I worked on were actually interesting for me. But you still have the challenges of working for people that have a different mindset than yours. Some people in corporate, the corporate world are more, you know, they like democracy and they're really slow and they want to do everything perfect. And I was a startup guy. I was like, hey guys, let's make an MVP in one week and let's push it out and see what happens. And they're like, no, wait a minute. First, I need to talk to the CEO, and then I need to talk to IT and permissions and GDPR. And this was a little bit frustrating, I have to say. But I think, to me, the biggest switch that happened in my brain is when I realized that out of all the activities I was doing, so educating, because I was still doing workshops for these companies, right? Because they first needed to understand what is AI, and then eventually build projects. Uh, that makes sense to me. So I was doing education, then I was doing the strategies so of helping them identify projects and trying to figure out how they could get started, and then writing the code. I realized that the last part was the part that I liked the least. And so I decided to just skip it in the end. 
because to be honest, also what I'm seeing in the market of AI consulting, let's say, is five years ago, the basically would charge whatever you wanted because there were just no data scientists around. And now it's so different. Like, I wouldn't say that there are enough data scientists, but there are quite a lot. And there are also a lot of AI consulting companies. So I feel like it's going to become a little bit like with mobile apps, where in the beginning, I know this guy who had the first Apple developer account in Denmark, and he would charge literally any number he wanted because he was the only one, right? And today you can get a high school student and build a React Native app and you go, you're, you're done. I feel like more or less the same thing is going to happen with AI. Also, if you look at all the tools that are coming out, like uh, all the Google, uh, AutoML stuff, it's going to become easier and easier. And I also realized that these companies, if they failed, it was not because their algorithms weren't performing well enough. It was because the strategy usually had some big flaws. So they decided to focus 100% on education and more on the strategy side of things. So now I typically talk more to the business people and trying to build a bridge between them and the developers rather than just sitting in a dark room running code. And I have to say this is going better for me because it also matches better my personality. I'm not a kind of guy that can sit in a room for 12 hours writing Python. So I just feel happier now, I would say. Yeah, well, and I, th I think you're spot on, you know, just like we have digital natives, you know, the, the kids who grew up, you know, had an iPad in their hand from day one, we're going to have AI natives, you know, these developers and folks who, you know, they'll, they'll always have a scoring function available to them that says, here's a probability of, you know, how important this thing or whatever it is. I think you're spot on. Well, I, th I think this is a pretty natural segue then into AI Academy. So you see this kind of germ of an idea where you're, you're starting to do more and more training. Tell our listeners about what is AI Academy? Who's it for? How do people engage with it? Yeah, so AI Academy was born from the very simple observation that there's not that much education going on for business people. If you are a developer and want to learn machine learning, you have 100 million courses you can do online. All of them are pretty good, and you can just get started pretty easily. But if you're a business guy and want to understand exactly what is AI, how you can use it in your company, how can you identify projects, how can you run them, how can you manage them, that's just really hard. There's not that much high-quality material on, on this topic. And so I didn't want these people to be left behind because in the end of the day, I strongly believe that AI is a tool. That's what it is. It's like a screwdriver, okay? And you need to use it to solve business problems. But the people that know what are the business problems that are worth solving, they are the business people, right? And so they are the guys that need to understand a little bit about AI so that they can identify potential solutions to their challenges. And I wanted these people to be helped. I wanted to support them in understanding uh, all these different things that they just couldn't understand otherwise. So AI Academy started as a training company. We were just helping business people understand what AI is. So we would typically be called by an organization, do a workshop for a couple of days, and get them started from the basics of artificial intelligence, so the basic concepts to how you can develop a strategy for a project, how you can manage it and run it. And that eventually turned out to, during COVID, I decided to bring it online as well, for the very simple reason that I just couldn't fly. I really missed teaching people. And so I built some online courses, so now people can also follow my online courses and start learning about artificial intelligence from the comfort of their home without having to fly over. And I have to say that worked really well also because it also becomes more affordable for people, right? Of course, it's, it's cheaper to buy an online course than having me fly over to an organization. 
and, and teach. It has been really nice. And I honestly feel that it's actually what I always wanted to do. Meaning that when I came back from Silicon Valley, if you remember the story I told you, the driver that really pushed me to do something with AI was because I wanted people to see the same things that I saw, right? I saw amazing stuff in Silicon Valley and I wanted people to have the same kind of opportunity. And so now that I'm focusing 100% on these, I, I just feel happier because I feel like my mission, my interests, and my activities are more aligned. And I'm coding less, which is something that I usually enjoy doing, but I'm, I'm trying to do some personal projects to just not lose the, the grip on the tech, you know? Because otherwise you just kind of forget stuff and that's not nice. For our listeners here, how do they engage with AI Academy? Are they like, are you publishing on some of the other training platforms like Udemy or Skillshare or any of those, or is it all, you know, straight through AI Academy? It's, we use a platform called Podia, but if you want to check out our courses, you can go on ai-academy.com and you can subscribe to our newsletter. I send a weekly newsletter where I just talk about the kind of stuff that I've seen during the week in artificial intelligence, either in my working experience reading about it and i also i'm also pretty active on social media on linkedin and instagram always trying to bring some more knowledge about artificial intelligence into the world that's awesome and we'll link those up in the show notes for sure i want to then segue in because this is a pretty natural complementary approach to what you're doing with the training which is writing a book and i love the title of this book you co-authored with your a uh, longtime friend, Nicola, who we, by the way, for our listeners, we we wanted to have Nicola on the show, but unfortunately, we weren't able to book him as well. But the book is titled Zero to AI. And I imagine I, I somewhat know the answer to this, but tell us a little bit more. What inspired this book? What is it about? And who is the audience for this book? Yeah, so it's, it's a pretty funny story. We got actually Manning reached out to us because they read uh, Nicola's blog, because also Nicola's been blogging for, for a while. And they asked us to write a technical book about AI. And then we kind of made a counter proposal. We said, hey, what if we write a non-technical book about AI? And we started making more research and we found out there was really no good book for a business leader that wants to understand what is artificial intelligence. So something that is geared towards people that have maybe an MBA or maybe started business and management, have no idea whatsoever about computer science, but they want to participate in this revolution, right? They want to have a place, they want to understand how they can use it in their organization and how they can maybe identify projects and start them. And so Manning loved the idea and just started writing it. It has been a crazy journey because it's pretty hard to find out, you know, a good spot where you're not saying too much because these people maybe are not interested in, you know, creating dissent or very complex algorithms, but also not too little so that they can actually work with it. And so we went through a bunch of iterations, and I have to say I'm pretty satisfied with, with the final result. Sometimes I, I, I open it up and read it, and I'm, I'm happy with how it came out. I look at it, and I'm like, wow, this chapter actually makes sense. Uh, but it, it was really hard, but uh, it was, again, we were pushed by this strong motivation of enabling all these business people to actually take part in this revolution. I'm a Manning author as well, by the way, and I, it is such a surreal feeling to take and like pull down a actual physical copy of a book that you wrote and then read it. And you're like, oh, yeah, I remember writing that. And oh, I thought that was junk when I wrote it. But no, it's actually pretty good. <laughs> it's actually fun when you forget you wrote something. It happened to me a couple of times and you need to find some inspiration. I opened the book and I was like, wow, this is pretty genius. <laughs> and I, 
and I forgot that. I am a really good writer. That's right. <laughs> I love it. I got a lot of help from Nicolo. I got a lot of help from Manny. So uh, I won't take full credit, but it's I'm pretty happy with the result. Well, and it's a fantastic feeling too when you happen to walk into some random bookstore and there's your book. Just for our listeners here, uh, where can the speaking of bookstores and where to get the book? Where where can our listeners find the book? They can find it on money.com and on Amazon as well. Yeah, and for our listeners here, you know, thanks so much for staying with us here. I, I want to pause for a moment, as we often do with Manning authors when they're on the show. We are going to do a giveaway, and here's how it's going to work: the first five people who email the show at hello at developmentor dot com. That's H E L L O at developmentor dot com will receive a code good for one free ebook. For those of you who don't want to send an email, you can go get a 40%, that's 40, 40% discount on all Manning books, including Zero to AI by Gianluca and Nicola by using the discount code PODDEVMEN20 at checkout. We'll link all of that up in the show notes. It's on our website. So thank you so much to Manning Publications who have been such great supporters of the show. Please do email us for that free code or use our discount code at checkout. All right, back to this, Gianluca. What do you see as some of the key takeaways somebody will get from reading that. If listeners learn nothing else, I know you talked about the business side of it, some of the code pieces, but if, if they walked away with no, nothing else, what's one thing you absolutely want them to remember about reading the book? I want them to finish the book by thinking that AI is a toolbox. This is a metaphor they often use. I want them to see at any business problem that they have in their work life or even just in their personal life as a problem that can be solved. And now they have this toolbox with you know, a screwdriver or a saw or a hammer that they can use to solve that problem. So I want them to get rid of that idea that AI is just black magic. It's just a series of tools that can improve your life and your work. That's the kind of mentality that I want people to end when, once they finish the book. Yeah, so very true there. Gene, look, writing a book is no small task. I mean, I've said on the show before how long it took me to write a book. I'm curious, what was your experience like actually writing a book, right? Because this is, you know, it's not necessarily something you even have to take on, right? You know, you've got a training business going, you've got consulting, you know, writing a book is a lot of work. What was that experience like for you? It was crazy, I have to say. It was supposed to take six months. I think we wrote 60% of the book in the first two or three months. But then we went through so many iterations. Go, we sent it to a bunch of people we trusted, we got some feedback. And then we thought, well, probably we should change a little bit how we phrased all these things. And in the end, it took us one year and a half to finish it because we basically rewrote it three times. Because every time we sent it to someone, we always got some amazing feedback, some great ideas, and we had to go through the whole length of the book, which is it's a pretty long book, by the way. I think 200 pages in A4 is pretty long. And so going through the whole thing to try to implement feedback from early readers has been quite a hassle. But again, it was worth it in the end. Still, a year and a half of my life spent writing this book. It's just, it just takes so much time. I have, a, I have a lot of memories of writing it in cafes, writing in different cities around the world. It's, it's fun. It has been a companion for a year and a half of my life. 
Yeah, it's like having uh, <laughs> on the good days, it's just an amazing companion. On other days, it maybe feels like a barnacle or something. I don't know, <laughs> or a parasite. But real quick for our listeners, you mentioned earlier writing too. What's one or two quick writing tips for our listeners if somebody is perhaps just wanting to get into writing or wants to improve their writing? What's one or two things that work for you? Yeah, so the first step is just, just do it. Like, we tend to think that we don't know how to write. If you try to write the same way you speak, usually you end up with pretty good stuff. And the second tip that I have to give is, actually, if I had to rewrite my book, I would do it this way. I wrote Zero to AI by writing 100% of each chapter. And then by the end of the book, I suddenly was juggling with 200 pages. And if you have to modify something in the beginning, you just get crazy, and you also feel like you never see the end of the book, right? So something that I do now, if I want to write a blog post, if I want to write something else, I just write the whole thing in bullet points, basically. So I try to write, let's say that I have to rewrite zero to I right now. I will probably write it in 10 pages. Then I will just look at it and just try to understand if I like the flow, if I think that every section that needs to be there is there, if I can take anything off. And then once I'm confident that's the best possible structure for the book, then I will try to elaborate and just basically put more content into each one of the sections that I just drafted before. I think that's a tip that has helped me a lot since I wrote the book and has helped, has helped also a bunch of uh, my friends that wanted to write a book and wanted to write. Just make a summary first. And once you have the full structure, then just go deeper into it. That just helps a lot. Also because it feels like it's finished, right? And just you need to just work more on it. Otherwise, if you just try to do everything word by word, it just seems like it's a never ending story. It's really frustrating uh, to say. Especially for technical books, nonfiction, this, you know, it's a lot like building a house, right? You got to put up the framing and then, you know, you go from there. Coming back into your, your own career, Gianluca, what's been the best thing about your career over the years? And what's been the most challenging? So I have to say the best thing has probably been the people that I met through my journey. Because I've been pretty lucky to work with even some top executives of some pretty large corporations. And that's probably the best thing because you get exposed to people that are just very smart, right? And they come from different backgrounds than yours. They have different experiences and you just learn a lot from them. So I feel like I got paid to learn in the last five minutes of my life, you know? And that's just really nice. And some of these people then end up being uh, maybe even good friends. And it's just so nice to have a network of high-skilled people you can count on. The worst thing, I think, has been not to have a clear direction because, you know, when you work for a company, there's always someone who tells you what to do and you know that that's what it's supposed to do and you can do it well and get a promotion, etc. Or it, it can change job if you don't want, if you don't like what you're doing right now. But when you're solo, you literally could do anything. I could literally stop teaching now and focus on doing just computer vision consulting, let's say. I could potentially do anything that I want just by maybe hiring the right people or just to specialize. Having a blank piece of paper in front of you, people think it's liberating. It's actually really stressful for me. <laughs> you don't know whether what you're writing on that piece of paper is the best possible thing you could. And that for me has been really stressful, but I learned to just trust my instincts and try to go towards what makes me the happiest. And that usually also becomes the most profitable thing. Because once you're happy, once you know that you're doing something that it's worth, and, and you're good at, then people feel it and they want to buy from you. So that's, I think, I, that's something I learned uh, with time and that a lot of people just miss. They just try to get the best thing possible in terms of 
revenue in terms of market opportunity and they forget to do actually what they like and the money then follows you know that's amazing. I mean, I, sometimes that blank piece of paper, you, in some ways, right, it has this infinite number of possibilities. And then uh, at the same time, it has an infinite number of possibilities. So picking one can be challenging. And for me, it was quite stressful also because I was living in Rome and I knew that I didn't want to live in Rome. So I had to pick a city. I had to pick a job. I had to, you know, I just felt like everything was white for me to write on and that becomes really stressful when you don't know which seat to leave you know what job to do you know what products to offer it's, it's not easy enough to say a lot of people want that but then once you have it it's stressful and it's a lot of courage to make decisions make all the decisions at once right is that what you're saying and basically you you had you had to do it all at once I, yeah yeah it turned out pretty well i have to say i've been pretty lucky yeah, I know. It's fantastic. And of course, landing in Copenhagen is a, a fantastic place to land as well. So uh, at least for this stage of your career. Coming back on the AI and heading into our final question here, what's one practical thing someone can do this week to learn about how to incorporate AI into their into their work streams? That's a very good question. So again, I think the most important thing you need to have when it comes to AI is the mindset. Because a lot of people get attracted by the potential of the technology. So they think, oh, wow, AI can do this. Therefore, I'm going to do it in my company. But the question, I think, it shouldn't be what can I do. It should be what should I do. So you should look at your challenges. And then just when you are very clear in your head what problem you want to solve and maybe even a little bit of an idea of how you want to solve it, then try to look at how AI can help you doing that. And that's, I think, a shifting mindset you need to do because most of the projects that I've seen that were not successful were because people were pushed by technology instead of pushed by real business needs. So if this weekend you want to get into artificial intelligence and try to figure out how to make this mindset shift, I think there are some blogs that I will, that I will recommend. Well, one is mine because, again, I really believe in this and I'm trying to always push for this different mindset, right? I recommend to read some articles maybe from Harvard Business Review or uh, the MIT Technology Review where you can basically read a little bit more of the business point of view around artificial intelligence. Because again, the technology is cool, it's nice, but it's always changing. It's the mindset that is going to bring you the results that you want if you're a business guy that wants to actually build new products using artificial intelligence. So invest time in trying to shift this mindset. I don't know if that makes sense to you. Yeah, no, I, I think that's spot on. I mean, you know, the tail wagging the dog problem is so prevalent in the tech space. You know, you go back to the big data, even the original AI hype and AI winter back in the late 80s and 90s is all, you know, essentially this problem of people, oh, tech can solve everything and, and it's got to be the other way around, right? You've got to have a problem to solve and then you apply tech to it, right? So true there. Gianluca, what do you wish 18-year-old you knew about building your career? Wow, that's a very good question. I think I will tell 18-year-old me that everything was going to be all right because I was worrying a lot about, should I be a guitar player? Or oh, hey, should I be an engineer? Oh, I don't like this. But it, as you said before, there has been all these random moments that just led me to find this path that I'm pretty happy about. And it's almost like if taking any opportunity that seems interesting to you in the end helped me form this vision for where I wanted to go. So I think I will tell 18 years old Jaluga to just keep hustling, keep exploring, and keep an open mind, and then things will just fall into place at some point. 
I think that's the best advice I can give myself and everyone listening. Is if you take opportunities and you have an open mind, then things usually in some way happen. Yeah, such a good reminder, I think, for us to keep our minds open. And you can have a plan, but sometimes you also got to deviate from the plan. Final question for you. You know, so we've got the book, we've got AI Academy. Where can our listeners best engage and follow you and learn more about you by the book, by your training courses? Sure. So for the book, you can, uh, again, you can see it on Manning or on Amazon. But also if you go on zero to ai.com, we have links for everything. And uh, regarding our courses, you can go on AIacademy.com with a dash, so AI-Academy.com, and there you can see everything that we have to offer. And personally, if you want to engage with me, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, I'm pretty active on Instagram as well. Instagram is at Gianluca, that's G-I-A-N-L-U-C-A dot N-A-U-R-O. And also check out my newsletter. Uh, you can subscribe on, at my newsletter on ai-academy.com as well. I send a weekly newsletter where I just tell everything that I discovered about AI during that week. And that's pretty engaging. I really like writing it as well. Oh, that's fantastic. We'll be sure to link all of those up in the show notes. And for our listeners here, a reminder again, we've got that free giveaway with Manning to get Gianluca's and Nicolo's book zero to AI. So be sure to send us an email or use our discount code. And of course, we'll link up AI Academy and the book and all of that in the show notes. Gianluca, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate you taking the time as we head into fall here. So, so great to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Grant. It was really a pleasure. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Developmentor podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Even better, please leave us a review. If you want to hear older episodes, leave feedback or sign up to be a guest, please visit us at developmentor.com. If you'd like to support the show, there are three ways you can help out. One, make a donation via Patreon. Two, if you're a software engineer looking for your next gig and wanting to practice interviewing, use our referral link to the interviewing.io platform. And three, buy your next tech book from Manning Publications using our affiliate link. All of those links can be found at developmentor.com support us. That's S-U-P-P-O-R-T dash U-S, all one word. Most importantly, if you like this show, please tell your friends. Referrals are the lifeblood of any podcast. Finally, we here at Developmentor hope that each and every episode helps you move one step closer to finding your path.